0: Gary Hoffman Yeah
1: together baby
0: Shannon Farron
1: I I'm not going to brag about how much ass I kicked but let's just say I kicked every single ass
0: Gary and Shannon
1: Can you imagine if Justin Timberlake tries to do a prince song at halftime.
0: <gasps> Not in Minnesota. Uh,
1: well, he spent he spent all day yesterday at the uh, at Prince's oh my estate. Gosh. What,
0: you know what? You're absolutely right that's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Which is fine. I mean, if as long as he does a does a, a great job.
1: He's Justin Timberlake.
0: I know I'm just saying.
1: He's one of the two people I want to be when I grow up.
0: Didn't Bruno Mars sing Prince last year? I don't know. I have a vague memory of of maybe that. I
1: thought it was Lady Gaga that did last year.
0: Wasn't Bruno Mars involved?
1: He was there the year before.
0: Oh.
1: I'm not mistaken. And, and who could forget Carol Channing and Up With People way back in <laughs> uh, <it> was <laughs> 1977 or whatever it was. Oh, um, boy. It is Friday. Real quick. Yeah. A
0: little housekeeping here.
1: Let's get it in. A couple
0: things. Social media. Okay. Um, something happened in the
1: bathroom here. I don't know what that is and why.
0: And I'm starting to feel bad about it. Like somebody had a bad day.
1: I was that like, that's is a, not that, a bad that's day. That's a bad day. That's a, hey guys, I'm going to go to the doctor real quick.
0: That's a bad day. Like if you're pooping on the floor, that is a not a good day in your life. Um. So... At Gary and Shannon is the picture uh, on Instagram. On Twitter, Lauren wrote to us, my birthday's in two weeks. It's on the 16th. She says, last year, Gary sang Gaston for my birthday. Can I request be our guest for this year? He hasn't sang anything besides let it go in months. A girl only turns 29 once. Hashtag love you guys. <laughs> So, can we make that happen
1: in two weeks?
0: Write a little note on your Post-it. The sixteenth, be our guest. Lauren, week. b-day. Our plenty guest. of time to rehearse.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gonna be stellar. Like I need to rehearse. <laughs> <laughs> you. Tie your napkin round your neck, Sherry, and we provide the rest. Soup to I really don't do French accents. Though. Yes, you do. Try the gray stuff. We have that good a f- as a candelabra. Yes, it's not you f- are. Well, we'll see. We have a
0: huge a day coming up. Hot in our hands right here Whew. is this memo.
1: This is the memo that everyone has lost their flipping minds about over the last uh, several weeks. The president today decided that it was okay to declassify it, since it's the executive branch that gets to declassify this. The legislative branch goes back to Congress, and then the House Intelligence Committee decided that they would release this memo that they have just been bleeding at the gums to get out there for some time now.
0: Let's back, back, back it up and talk about what this memo is. Got it. The FBI and the Justice Department wanted to look into the Trump campaign and whether or not it was involved with Russia to alter the course of the election. In order for the FBI and the Justice Department to do that, to look into... Carter Page, one of the uh, volunteers for the Trump campaign, who may or may not have had ties to Russia, they had to come up with a warrant, the FISA warrant. And in, to get a warrant, they had to have some sort of evidence, some sort of probable cause. And this memo was all about at least one of the factors in their argument for probable cause. And one of the factors in their argument for probable cause was the Christopher Steele dossier, the dossier that was made famous by bu- I believe Vanity Fair, Buzz, Buzz, Buzz Buzzfeed went, came out with it. Wow, yeah.
1: good for they me. were the old, Buzzfeed was the only finger quotes news organization that decided to publish it because so much of it was. Uncorroborated, totally shady McShaderson.
0: Very salacious. Remember, there was a tale of, of Russian prostitutes urinating on the president and all this dirt that Russia allegedly had on Trump. But no one wanted to run with it except for, as you mentioned, BuzzFeed. And this memo is all about Christopher Steele and all about his shady reporting and all about how he was shopping around his dossier and no one, no one wanted to pick it up, while at the same time, the FBI was using Christopher Steele as their informant to get this FISA warrant to investigate the Trump campaign.
1: Right. So the FBI and the Department of Justice get, get one of these initial FISA warrants that targets Carter Page. They also get three renewals from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. And one of the safety nets that's set up in this Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court is that if you are surveilling an American citizen... If you are watching someone who is in the United States of America, that order has to be renewed every 90 days. And each renewal requires a whole new beginning, a whole new separate finding of probable cause. So James Comey, when he was director of FBI, signed off on the original one. And then Andrew McCabe signed on one, Sally Yates had one, Dana Bonte had one, Rod Rosenstein, each signed one or more of the FISA applications on behalf of the Department of Justice. So we know that they, whatever evidence they had, they used, they got these different warrants. This is what's interesting. The argument from Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee is that this dossier was used as the basis for all of this in fact one of the lines the deputy director Andrew McCabe testified before the house intelligence committee two months ago that no surveillance warrant would have been sought from the uh, intelligence court without the Steele dossier information now that doesn't mean that this was the only document that was used but his without own it, words, but without it's the, the most do-
0: important. Right. Without the dossier, they would not have gone forward with the warrant right. or been able to obtain one.
1: So here's what makes it uh, stinky, perhaps, the FBI using this document as the main or most important reason for getting these FISA warrants.
0: The document was, um, excuse me, the dossier was compiled because of the, of the Democratic National Committee and the Hillary Clinton campaign. They paid for this to be done. And so for this to be used by the FBI as their big source of information to get the warrant.
1: Without an acknowledgement in court that that was where it came from. Yes, it was started by Republican opposition research, but it was the Democratic National Committee and the Clinton campaign that picked it up from them and and turned this over. The other thing is they would hold these uh, news reports up as proof Uh, or corroborating evidence to the dossier, to the information in the dossier. For example, Michael Isikoff wrote something for Yahoo News in September. But the only source was Christopher Steele. And he is the guy who wrote the original dossier in the first place. It wasn't
0: corroborated by anyone else. And Christopher Steele wasn't an unbiased journalist who uncovered all of these nuggets. He actually was on the record several times saying, and I quote, I'm desperate that Donald Trump not get elected. Passionate about him not being president, and so for the FBI to use this guy as their informant and his information as as grounds to get that warrant to look into the campaign, that should make everyone a little bit uneasy about the FBI.
1: Yeah, because the FBI, the Counterintelligence Division, Assistant Director Bill Price, Priestap, said that the dossier was in its the corroboration of the dossier was in its infancy at the time of the original Carter Page fisa application which means this it just it wasn't fully vetted even at that point why didn't
0: the fbi do the legwork and maybe listen maybe they did this memo is only part of the story we don't know the totality of the warrant we just know that the dossier was a big part of it but why didn't they do the legwork if if they if they didn't need to rely on the dossier why did they why not do the legwork why not corroborate some of it and then put the proof in in the in the paperwork
1: because I should say, and the follow-up to that statement is the question, is the president right? Was the Department of Justice and specifically the FBI politically motivated to sort of uh, stretch the truth, perhaps hide some of the things so that they knew they could get a FISA warrant? And
0: part of the memo answers that. Um, Steele maintained contact, it says, with Associate Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr. He was a senior Department of Justice official who worked closely with the deputy attorney General Yates and later Rosenstein. During the same time, Orr's wife was employed by the company that paid for this dossier to be done to assist in the cultivation of opposition research on Trump. So he was literally in bed with one of the people compiling all this opposition
1: research And and he
0: was running the FBI's investigation into
1: this and they never disclosed that to the court that they were using that in the warrant it's just a conflict of interest on its face now this steel was eventually suspended and then terminated The, the fbi fired this guy they said that uh they say it was the most serious of violations i mentioned that he was the one providing all the information to yahoo news and these other media outlets that unauthorized disclosure to the media of his relationship with the fbi specifically in a mother jones article was the reason the FBI got rid of this guy. Okay. So that's where we stand. There's a couple of things that come to mind in in our first sort of digestion of this memo. Number 1 is is this going to impact the wide-ranging investigation by Robert Mueller and the rest of the special counsel? I I don't know the official answer to that. In my mind, it doesn't, because this memo as as crazy as people have been as as uh, engulfed in flame as their hair has become this is one argument against one player specifically in the investigation it's that the fbi used this steel dossier incorrectly in going after warrants against carter page that's all it's that's all that this points to Yes, there's an uh, there's a, a suggestion that perhaps uh, George Papadopoulos may have been caught up in all of this as well because of the information that came from the Carter surveillance pointed to Papadopoulos, et cetera. But in terms of what this is pointing to, it's one issue against one guy. It does not necessarily even let Carter Page off the hook.
0: It doesn't mean that this stuff isn't true. It just shows that there was a direct bias and they, uh, it, by the guy who compiled this dossier that the FBI then used for a warrant to investigate the campaign. And, and he, was, he was essentially, I, I believe, Lindsay, was it Lindsey Graham who said this? Christopher Steele was on the payroll of a company that was being paid by the DNC to do opposition research on Donald Trump while he was working with the FBI. And at the same time, he's shopping that to all the news sources. Right. The, the FBI shouldn't be using someone as an informant who's trying to shop his story or sell his story to BuzzFeed and Yahoo
1: News and the like. The, what? One of the questions I have, you remember I said that one of the safeguards that's built into this is a FISA court order on an American citizen has to be renewed every 90 days. And each of those renewals requires a separate finding of probable cause. I'm curious if... The evidence, if there is any, that they got in the original 90 days, if that can be included as probable cause to continue the warrant or to renew the warrant. Because if that's the case, first of all, they used the fake documents, the the unverified, uncorroborated steel dossier to get the original warrant, but maybe they stumbled onto other stuff. That is going to be not admissible in a court if you used right. bad evidence in the beginning And then picked up more evidence along the way. All of that evidence you pick up along the way is not admissible in court,
0: unless you corroborate the stuff that you initially used.
1: Right. Unless you can build up the base of the original evidence, yeah, you're you're screwed at that point.
0: It's just it's. uh, This is uh, this is this is bad for the FBI. Here's a good. Looks bad. It looks shady. It looks dirty.
1: Well, we were talking about this just before the show. The two options that the FBI has right now in terms of what this points to. And and again, this is just the Republican version of it. It's important that we find out what Democrats believe has been left out of this. Yes. What the FBI's statement will be. So we'll talk about that. But specifically what it is this could mean about the FBI when we come back. First, we have $1,000 we're going to give away. Here's how you're going to do it. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. And you got to answer the phone. If you win, they will call you, but it's probably from a number you don't recognize. If you don't answer... They'll move on and give that $1,000 to somebody else. But we'll play again one uh, one hour from now. We'll tell you how you can win $1,000 then and all the way through the John and Ken show and all the way up into the Conway show at 620 tonight.
0: Now, the FBI has said it has grave concerns uh, that the contents of the memo leave out important details and create an inaccurate portrait of their work because they can't tell us everything that they found or that they used in this warrant. Like I said, we don't know the t- totality of what was in that warrant. This is just a snapshot of part of it. But unfortunately, like you mentioned earlier, there was that testimony. Deputy Director McCabe testifying before the committee in December that no warrant would have been sought without the dossier information. You can't get away from that.
1: Yeah. And again, it's not it's not an, it's not saying that this was the only thing that they used, but. Even Andrew McCabe said this was the most important thing that they used. And it was an unverified, uncorroborated piece of opposition research. The guy was still on, like you said, Fusion GPS's payroll while he was working for the FBI. There's ridiculous, obvious conflicts of interest there. I'm
0: curious as to what they are going to say I mean, obviously, the FBI knows what the memo is, but right. they haven't commented since the release. But
1: hey, and here's the thing.
0: But the I'm, FBI in the Justice Department rarely would comment. Right? I'm
1: not jumping to conclusions here. I'm just a. I just think that this is a a good first step into finding out exactly what went on. Yes, it's the Republican version of things, and Democrats do have their own version of things that they could probably release if they want to, uh, and eventually, I think we will see it. But it raises the question. Who at the Department of Justice knew that Steele was talking to the media? Or did they? Did this guy play the FBI? Well, this
0: is a problem. If the FBI knew that Christopher Steele was shopping around this dossier to Yahoo News and BuzzFeed and everybody else while working with the FBI, then that is just... Uh, improper, at least.
1: At least improper. At
0: least. and uh, Highly
1: criminal, unethical. Unethical. Yeah.
0: Um, but if they didn't know, then they're dumb.
1: Then it's incompetent. If
0: they didn't know that this guy was shopping the dossier while working with the FBI, then it's incompetence, and that makes me a little bit more worried. I'd rather them be conniving <laughs> and cheaters and shady than a dumb, Dumbass Dumb organization.
1: <laughs> because you can you can cut out the cancer. You can cut out the part where uh where there are bad agents doing bad things, bad actors in some way doing bad things. But if it's a systemic problem where it it's gonna take a you know top to bottom reorganization in terms of how they handle informants like Christopher Steele. Uh this is the that's sa- a much more dangerous uh, scenario. This
0: is the same thing with Hillary Clinton and the classified information. Either she knew what she was doing, passing it along or disseminating, whatever, or she was too dumb to know it was classified. Both are bad options. Right. And that's where we find ourselves with the FBI right now. Furthermore, how many other times are they cutting corners and using baloney for, for warrants? Did they just and, and every time that it's renewed every ninety days, is it just like you know, uh, a, hey, remember a rubber what we stamp? Said,
1: remember what we said three months ago? Yeah, yeah, uh yeah. Ditto.
0: Right, right, right. Like is that I is don't, that
1: how it works? I don't think so. I mean, just in terms of what the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court is built to do, I would imagine that the the Especially when it comes to spying on an American citizen. I mean, that's why the safeguard of having it renewed every ninety days is in there. I would imagine that the level the the bar in terms of how high you have to reach to convince the court to allow that sort of uh, surveillance, I would imagine that it's much higher. So uh, that's why it bothers me that this is only the Republican version of what happened, because without knowing the. Uh, description perhaps from the Democrats about what they considered this to be cherry-picked. You know, I want to know the rest of the tree. I want to know what else is going I, on here I with I do it.
0: too, but you can't get away from that testimony.
1: From Andrew McCabe? Yeah. No surveillance warrant would have been sought from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court without the steel dossier information.
0: That's huge. No matter what else is in that warrant for grounds to, to look into the campaign— It doesn't overcome that.
1: So do you think this is a win for Devin Nunez? I mean, the fact that he was the one who was behind this. He was the one pushing to have this thing released.
0: uh, I think it... uh,
1: Because it does point... I mean, listen, no matter how you read this, you have to admit that this points to shoddy
0: investigative work
1: on the FBI. uh, At least the way it stands there.
0: Devin Nunez's name may get lost in this. It's a win for the president. It's a win for him trying to... In his argument uh, that... Everyone's against him, that it's fixed, that it's a dirty swamp, yep. that it's a Hillary Clinton machine, the whole bit. It's proof of that. That's for
1: damn sure. Um, I expect people to quit over this. I think yeah. someone either is going to quit or get fired over this, and I wouldn't be surprised if it happens in the next few hours. So uh, we're going to read through this. We're watching uh, a bunch of the talking heads, of course, as they go through and digest all of this and try to make sense of what has become the hottest three and a half pages to come out of Washington since uh,
0: it's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> clear too. It's not like it's reading. It's not like reading through a legal brief. No, it's and, a pretty clear memo, short, concise, and to the point.
1: But that was also to my point that this is the one, th- you know, they're talking about one thing. They're talking about the Carter page warrants and how the steel dossier played into that. They're not talking, talking about the much wider, Mueller investigation, this is or true. all of that, you know, all of the other connections to Michael Flynn, to um, to Paul Manafort, to George Papadopoulos. Although he is mentioned in there, it's it's specifically about Carter Page. So this is the beginning of what is going to be an interesting weekend for all of this information firing back and forth. But
0: check it out; we have it up on our website, and uh, come to your own conclusion there. Yeah, hey, did you, you, you hear about uh, did you hear about the the dad at that Larry Nassar sentencing?
1: I want to buy him. a I want to buy him like a twelve pack of beer.
0: Agree.
1: This is. I feel bad. You know who I feel bad for in that situation? The bailiffs in the court.
0: Yeah, because they want to kick this guy's ass too. Said ass a lot today already.
1: Well, it is a Friday. Okay. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Eagle Friday or something.
0: Coming up next, we've got an update on the shooting that dominated the day yesterday. It turns out it was accidental, which is. Great. And how did that happen? We'll get into it.
1: Gary and Shannon will continue. So like Gary and Shannon on this uh, Friday, it's February 2nd. Uh, memo Day as, uh, It's going to be referred to for some time. We do have the Nunez memo online. You should go read it. Uh, make up your own decisions about it. The, wh- the whole thing is, is only three pages long. Uh, Like Shannon said, it's not written like a legal document. It's pretty easy to get through. So uh, you should definitely check it out before you start having conversations about it uh, and get caught saying something stupid. So we're at least giving you the information so that you can be ahead of your friends.
0: Castro Middle School was the scene of yesterday's school shooting. And where we left you, we knew that a 12-year-old girl was being held as a person of interest, they called her, which was a little odd yesterday, but now it kind of makes sense, right? She was a person of interest in this shooting. A 15-year-old boy was shot in the head. A 15-year-old girl shot in the wrist. But luckily, uh, they are all expected to make a full recovery. There was a couple other people hit by uh, shrapnel. There's some some glass, some abrasion issues. But everyone is expected to be Okay. Happened just before 9 a.m.
1: They said something like uh, the girl may have dropped her backpack and the gun went off. That's really hard to do. I Jeez. mean, that's a that's a movie thing. That's not a—that's a, a very difficult thing to actually do.
0: The girl was crying and told at least a fellow classmate, I didn't mean to. I had the gun in my backpack. I didn't know it was loaded, and my backpack fell and the gun went off.
1: If that's the case, um, again— Something in the backpack. You can't just drop a gun and it go off. Well, police
0: interviewed her and agreed it was an accident. She was booked into juvenile hall on suspicion of negligently discharging a firearm on school grounds. It's a semi-automatic handgun. They haven't said where she got it or why she brought it
1: to school. Well, remember, uh, Mike Fewer took the stand, took the stand, took the podium yesterday at one of these news conferences, the city attorney for L.A., and was like, listen, parents. Even uh, Chief Zipperman said the same thing. How does a 12-year-old girl get a gun? It's because someone in the house, someone in the family has the weapon and is so irresponsible that they can't hide it or put it in a locked place where the kids wouldn't get it. I mean that – whether or not they have a weapon for uh, self-protection, for self-defense, that sort of a thing, you've got to be able to find a a sliver of intelligence – and put it in a place where a twelve-year-old is not going to have access to it.
0: Jordan Valenzuela was in class when he heard the bang and then he heard screaming. She, or uh, she or he, I'm not. Uh, he, excuse me. He, uh, the girl told Jordan that it was an accident. He says that after he heard the gunshot and the screaming, children in the other classroom started banging on the door connecting the two rooms. He and some other kids opened it. Began trying to help the victims, he says. He says he noticed his friend sitting at her desk with her hands covering her face. And he says that the girl asked him to hide the backpack with the gun in it. And Jordan said no. And then he says he moved away from her because he was a little bit scared. Yeah. <laughs> but he said she doesn't do bad things, she just stays quiet. Hmm. Jordan was crying when he called his mom from a borrowed cell phone to tell her he was okay.
1: You know your mom's cell phone number?
0: No. I just have it as mom's cell in right. my I you
1: know, mean if you had to borrow my phone I know my
0: home phone my parents home phone number. Oh, they
1: still have a home phone. Yeah. Okay. Just I thought about that. I don't know if my I don't know if my kids would know my number. Yeah. You know, it's I don't it's, think I'm,
0: I I, I I have a handful of numbers I know, and it's <laughs> they my all, They all pre cell phones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: um, the, the, an internal district audit of 20 schools released a couple of months ago, almost a year ago, actually, found inconsistencies in how random searches are conducted. We talked about this yesterday. LA Unified is the only district that requires every middle and high school campus to do these daily random searches for weapons using those little uh, airport metal detector wands. But they did a 20-school audit, and they found inconsistencies in how they were done. Some of them don't do them daily. Uh, a quarter of them don't even have enough metal detecting wands to do a search properly. This all started 25 years ago, I guess it was.
0: 1993, when a 16-year-old was shot and killed at Fairfax High. The following month, a student died at Reseda High from a shooting. And then in 2011, the district required the daily searches with the metal-detecting wands. Uh, I'd like to start doing that around here.
1: (laughs) Metal-detecting wands? Mm -hmm. I don't think this points to anything wrong with LA Unified. Um, Was it the school board president who got up yesterday and said, we love our children?
0: Monica Garcia. Yes.
1: We love our children. Well, I don't think there's any – I don't have any doubt, or I should say I generally don't have any doubt that people who work in the school system love kids. You gotta love kids if you're gonna hang around them for that long. Yeah, lot. you gotta you gotta really like kids, and uh, uh, kudos to them. But this doesn't necessarily point to a failure on anything uh, on the administrators at Castro or the security system that's set up outside. Although, because there's no guarantee that even a random search would have turned up this girl and her gun. It points to me to it's the a, parents, to the parents, yeah. or the mom, or whoever's whoever's gun this is. The 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 school chief, um, uh, Zipperman. I said this yesterday. L.A. has a law about the safe storage of weapons. According to Mike Feuer. and Steve Zipperman, says, listen, I don't know how a twelve year old gets access to a gun and brings it to campus, but you've got to keep your weapon. You, the adult, you have to keep your weapon secure and away from your kids. It's on you. I would be really surprised if there are not charges filed against whoever's gun that is the adult whose gun that is it's gotta be it's gotta happen
0: well it's gotta be it's gotta happen uh just to just to uh what's the word make an example out of him sure or her.
1: um you mentioned the two people who were hurt the the male 15 year old boy shot in the head stable condition uh, the girl shot in the wrist, fair condition. Three other people suffered minor injuries, a 30-year-old woman, an 11-year-old boy, and a 12-year-old girl. And the other issue of they kept the kids in school all day.
0: Yeah, well, if it was accidental, it makes a little bit more sense. But yesterday, when we didn't know it was accidental and Monica Garcia took the podium and said today was an uncomfortable day, that was maddening. Uh, tell that to the parents of the boy who was shot in the head. Was yeah. it an uncomfortable day for you?
1: Well, you must have had a little stressful afternoon.
0: You know, for all the kids who uh, – little kids, 12-year-old kids who uh, got, saw people get shot in their classroom, would you describe that as uncomfortable? No. <laughs> Let's not short sell what it was. It was I might, terrifying. I might
1: start with uncomfortable and end somewhere uh, around the life If somebody got
0: shot here, it would be more than uncomfortable if it was an accident or not an accident. Anyway. We come back. Uh, We have a dad's to salute also. I just realized something. Yeah. I am not going to be having any alcoholic beverages uh, at Super Bowl party. What? Because This Is Us is following the Super Bowl, and it's the episode where we learn how the dad died. I'm not going to record it. I'm not going to record, record it. Record it watch and watch it the live. next day. I'm going to watch it live. Why? <laughs> because I want to see it. Boring. <sighs> You're
1: boring. Larry Nasser uh, gets attacked in court. We'll talk about that when we come back.
0: Just because I have a heart? I'm boring?
1: Amy, you and my wife can sit there and cry. Cry together? Yeah. We are gathered today to get through this thing <laughs> called life. Gary and Shannon, uh, our flashback Friday is Prince, because it's clear. Had Prince not passed away, he would be doing the halftime show in his uh, in his hometown there. Um, but the Super Bowl this weekend, of course, Philadelphia and New England playing in Minnesota, where it's seven degrees below zero, or something crazy like that. Uh, uh, toasty seventy-two inside that uh, inside the dome.
0: Coming up after the top of the hour, the Natalie Wood death investigation gets new life. We'll tell you all the details. But first, Larry Nasser, that sicko child molester who was crowned the king of bodies by USA Gymnastics and Michigan State, Larry Nasser. he's still in a sentencing hearing.
1: I can't believe that this is going on still, but... Uh, That's were, how many girls he molested. Yeah, There were three girls, three sisters, as a matter of fact, who were the latest women to be uh, or to have the opportunity to face this guy in court. Um, two of the girls had just told the judge that they and their third sister had been sexually abused by Larry Nasser under the guise of medical treatment, and we've known that he did that for years. And their dad, Randall Margraves, later addressed the court telling the judge that he was speaking up as a distraught father. Uh, he stood at the courtroom podium. He looked at Nasser, He shook his head. He called him a profanity. And Margraves asked the judge for five minutes alone with Larry Nasser. And the judge said, listen, I, you know I can't do that. And then he said, how about this? How about one minute?
0: You can hear the emotion in his voice. I would ask you to, as part of this sentencing, to grant me five minutes in a locked room with this <laughs> demon. I have would you can't. do that? I, I, that is not yes how I... Yes or no? No, sir, I can't. Would you give me one minute? <laughs> I, you know that I can't do that. That's not how I would go... Well, sister. I'm going to have to... Stay down. Stay
1: down. Uh, He goes over the railing, over one of the lawyers' tables, over a second lawyer's table, before the deputies are able to, one of the deputies and one of the lawyers, able to get in between Randall Margraves and Larry Nasser, And they tackle him and they put him down. And you can hear very calmly, actually, one of the deputies telling him, stay down, stay down. How this doesn't happen, how it hasn't happened every single time there has been an adult parent in the room yeah. with this guy while these women are explaining and detailing his abuses. How it hasn't happened every time, I just don't know. More than 30 victim statements, uh, victims have given statements to, so far during this hearing, which we began Wednesday and is going to stretch into next week. A similar hearing ended last week, you remember. 150 girls and women came forward, and then the judge laid into this guy for, what was it, 45 minutes she laid into the guy. Earlier uh, today, the judge reopened the hearing by saying that controversial comments made by one of the uh, attorneys was unfortunate. I guess a lawyer told a radio station that she doubted the large number of women and girls who say they are victims do that how do you say now that oh i mean it's not 150 it's probably closer to like 130
0: i don't know how the this is the first parent or the first person to to come at this guy i don't
1: either i I mean if i
0: I would i don't either because these girls you know at the time didn't know what he was doing was wrong They were were 9, 10, 11. And now they're adults and how they've been able to hold
1: their composure. We we talked about this story the other day with with our daughter. And she's 15. Like, she would know. And we've kind of jokingly played with the whole, uh, hey, you know, not in the bathing suit area, waka waka. On top of the actual legit conversations that we've had with her about what is appropriate, what's not. And when you think about the fact that the that in many of these cases, there was a parent in the room in the room and he was doing it he was manipulating the circumstances in such a way with a sheet with his own body, he was hiding what he was physically doing to these. girls. So
0: it's another level of security, right? Well, my parents in the room, nothing bad could be happening to me, even if your gut kicks in and it's like, this doesn't seem right. What the hell? My ankle, it's my ankle injury. What's going on here? But imagine if if your mom's in the room chatting with the doctor who's doing this, you... Oh okay well everything must be apparently
1: in order. apparently that it doesn't feel right but I guess it's okay. It's just okay. so
0: sick using the parents Imagine as the a mom. tool to molest the kids.
1: You're the mom who then finds out oh. from a police detective when he when you were in the room with your daughter he was doing this I to
0: would her. Ne- the guilt would never leave you. It
1: was one of those things where you like you'd kiss your husband on the forehead and say I will see you uh on I guess every other visitors weekend or something like that and yeah. then and then walk out the door and never come back until the guy's dead. Yeah. I, that's what I would kind of expect my wife to do in a situation like that
0: your wife would do that she would kill that guy
1: and she clearly she said that to our daughter. she said, listen, he would not be alive.
0: James Comey is weighing in on the memo
1: the former director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation
0: he's calling it dishonest and misleading and says that's it okay
1: oh well, I don't the one. The one line that we had taken out of there and said was probably the most important line in all of it was that former deputy director Andrew McCabe testified before the House Intelligence Committee that no surveillance warrant would have been sought from the FISA court without the the information from the Steele dossier. A couple of Democrats have said that that line, the way we I just read it directly out of the memo, that that line is misleading about the actual testimony from that day. So find out exactly what he said about that. I'd like to hear that. Gary and Shannon, we'll continue. When we come back, we're going to get into uh, the big story about Natalie Wood. The case had been reopened a few years ago, and just this week we found out that her husband, her two-time husband, Robert Wagner, is now being considered a person of interest. If you don't know much about the story of Natalie Wood and how she died, it is a fascinating unsolved mystery. Talk about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon.